O Lord, open our eyes to see what is beautiful, our minds to know what is true, and our hearts to love what is good. Amen. In many different ways, the Lord our God promised that there would be great changes when the Messiah came. Jeremiah, 600 years before Christ, announced God's new covenant for the future. The time is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, because they broke my covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Amazingly, this gracious promise, this gracious promise of a new covenant was given at the time when Israel was in deep trouble. Because of their constant disobedience to the Lord our God, the city of Jerusalem and the temple were about to be destroyed and the people of Israel were about to be deported, taken off to be servants of the king of Babylon. About 1446 before Christ, God's original covenant with the people of Israel was given when the Lord our God, Yahweh, as he revealed his name to be, the Lord our God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He told them, I will be your God. And Moses led them across the Red Sea, out of slavery, he led them through the desert to the mountain of the Lord, to Mount Sinai. And then he went up the mountain and received from God the Ten Commandments carved on stone. But even before Moses could bring down the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel had already turned away from the Lord. They'd taken off their golden jewellery and they had made a calf, a, a, a bull calf, and covered it with gold. And they said, this will be our God. This will lead us into the promised land. Moses led the people of Israel through a very dis dis distressing 40 years in the wilderness when they were not ready to go into the promised land. But before they crossed the river Jordan in to possess the promised land, Moses warned the people of Israel that if they were not faithful to God, if they did not keep the covenant that they had agreed with God, they would lose God's protection and their enemies would get the better of them. Disobedience would lead to their being defeated 
and deported from the land as slaves. It was a warning that became prophetic as Israel's history, uh, which continued to be a repeated pattern of turning to other gods and being defeated and then crying out to the Lord and the Lord saved them. But they, they, this, uh, this disregard for God's law went, uh, was part of what was happening all through that time. When things were going well, they ignored God and went their own way. They forgot God, they ignored God's prophets, and they worshipped other gods. And when things went badly for them, and their enemies attacked them and defeated them, they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord had mercy on them. He stepped in and rescued them, sending judges or kings to save them. Habakkuk was also a prophet at the time of uh, Jeremiah. And he was uh, given the task of warning the people of Israel to repent and to follow the Lord. But they didn't listen. And Habakkuk called out to God, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? It's a prayer of lament. We sometimes feel like that, don't we? shouting at how long, O Lord, is, are things going to carry on as they are? He was asking, uh, Habakkuk was asking, why don't you do something, God? Sometimes we ask the same thing. Why doesn't God step in and stop coronavirus? How long, O Lord? Why don't you do something? And God replied to Habakkuk, look around, Habakkuk, look around. What do you see? And Habakkuk looked around at the time, uh, what was happening in his time. And he said, I see Babylon. I see the king of Babylon. Evil, greedy, cruel, gradually taking over one nation after another. And the Lord answers Habakkuk. He says, I agree with you, Habakkuk. Israel is in a mess. And I'm going to do something about it. I will keep my promise. I'm going to send the king of Babylon to sort out the mess of Israel. Habakkuk was absolutely shocked. He was stunned. How can you use such a despicable nation to punish Israel? And the Lord promised Habakkuk that Babylon itself would also be judged. They would get a taste of justice. But it was necessary for Israel to be brought to its senses. So like uh, Jeremiah, the prophet uh, Joel also spoke of the days of the new covenant that uh, God had promised. He said, God will pour out my, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's the message from God. Now, as faithful Jews um, made their daily prayers, 
as they worship week by week in the synagogue and at the great festivals of the Jewish faith. They were looking out for the coming of the Messiah and the fulfilling of God's promises. And at the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, uh, I think it was read in the reading of Sukkot, which is the Jewish, the Jewish name for it, uh, the, uh, the people of God remembered the time in the wilderness when God had provided them with food and drink. And they gave thanks also to God for the harvest and for God's continued blessing on them. And they celebrated the feast like a harvest festival for seven days, living in little makeshift shelters. And on the last and great day of the feast, a priest was chosen. He was given a golden jug and he was sent to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And he brought water in the jug from the pool of Siloam. And the high priest took the jug and he poured out the water at the foot of the altar and it flowed out in a channel. And along with the water, he poured out a jug of wine. It was symbolic prayer for God to water the land and a prayer for God's blessing of salvation for the coming of the Messiah. And as the water was being poured out, the priests blew their trumpets, the ram's horn trumpets. And the Levites sang the psalms and the people processed around waving palm branches and chanting the psalms. And the final psalm was Psalm 118. It was a prayer for God to save them with the coming of the Messiah. And they thanked God and said, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It's like a refrain that goes through the psalm. We'll actually be using that psalm in a couple of weeks' time. It was probably at that point that Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. Jesus is saying, I'm the true spring. Just, not just to water the crops, but to refresh the spirit of the people. I am the true spring. And Jesus was promising the same thing as the Lord God had promised through Jeremiah. And through Joel. But this could not happen immediately, as St. John tells us. It couldn't happen on the day when Jesus spoke the words. St. John says, By this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The Spirit could not be given at that time because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But later, 50 days after the resurrection, 
on the day of Pentecost, a fundamental shift took place in God's dealing with his people. In the Old Testament, priests and kings and prophets were anointed with oil for the special work God gave them to do. Jesus, too, was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism for the special work the Father had called him to do. In fact, the word uh, Messiah in Hebrew and, uh, and uh, Christ in Greek both mean anointed one. This is what Jesus was. He was the one anointed by God. So what was it that changed on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit had been at work in the world ever since the creation of the world. It tells us that the Spirit moved upon the waters and brought forth life right at the beginning of Genesis. But what happened at Pentecost was something new. God had always wanted a people of his own. A people, a nation, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Not a people far off, trembling at the bottom of a mountain, waiting for commandments written on stone to come down. St. Peter, preaching in the temple, quoted God's promise through the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Instead of the Holy Spirit only being given to a few people, the Holy Spirit was there to come upon all believers. The Lord our God wanted a people cleansed and forgiven, dedicated to his service, upon whom he could pour out his Holy Spirit. A people who carried God's word not on heavy tablets of stone, but in their hearts. Who know God's character for themselves and reflect it in the way they live. God's purpose was to take away the heart of stone, the heart of disobedience, and for the Holy Spirit to be a living presence within his people. What Jesus was promising at that feast was not something static like a set of rules to keep, but a dynamic relationship, living in relationship with God. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. In the area where we live in Lincolnshire, there's a, a little nature sanctuary, it's mainly for birds, but all kinds of little wildlife. And it's a narrow valley in the chalk hills. And in that small valley, there are 27 small springs where the water seeps out from the rock. And they gradually flow together and make a little stream going from that valley that never runs dry. It's a beautiful picture. And um, the springs seep out of the chalk hills and run together. 
God's gift of his Holy Spirit is not like a measured cup of grace. If you imagine a cup that you're given and it's filled full and we're filled full of the Holy Spirit. But it, you have to carry it, if you've got a cup like that, you've got to carry it very carefully. Otherwise the, it spills out and it gradually evaporates. Somebody nudges you and you say something rude back and you spill quite a lot. But God's Holy Spirit is not like a measured cup of grace that we have to carry carefully. A, a cup that can spill and leak away or evaporate. You say some angry words or you forget to pray and gradually the grace seeps away. Well, it's not really like that. God's grace is generous, flowing like a stream coming from within. He teaches us when we've done something wrong to confess our sins. He leads us to repentance and teaches us how to walk in God's way. If, uh, if we're thirsty for God, if we believe in Jesus, he gives his Holy Spirit to live inside us. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's the gift of God for each one of us. If you are thirsty, come to me, Jesus says. I've been talking to Bill for... Uh, two and a half months or so and he's thirsty thirsty for God and uh, he wants to be baptised and that's what we're going to do next but first of all we'll finish with a prayer finish the sermon with a prayer Father God we thank you that your gift of the Holy Spirit was not just for the apostles but for all Christians may we know his abiding and life-giving presence with us each day, bubbling up within and flowing out to be a blessing to others. Amen. I said next. I think we've got a hymn. This next. Sorry, I, yeah. uh, Pamela and the team are going to uh, sing for us, "Knowing You, Jesus." That's the essence of it, isn't it? What a lovely choice of music.